Have you all been telling people about Jesus? That's the question this morning. Have you been telling people about Jesus? Have you been telling people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you been sharing that with people that you know and people that are outside of this place even, people where you work, people where you live, people where you play? Have you been telling them about Jesus? As we continue in this series where we've kind of been jumping off from Colossians, we've been calling it Before All Things, and I just kind of like to start by reading these few verses that are in chapter 1. It says this in Colossians 1, 17, it says, He, that's Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And then in Colossians 1, 18, it says, He is the beginning, He's the firstborn from the dead. And then in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, it says this, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So this, in other words, says we ought to be intentionally seeking to put Christ before all things in our life. Like he is before all things, according to chapter 1, in time and in preeminence. So we ought to seek him and purposely place him before all things in all areas of our life. And so the question this morning is, have you been telling people about Jesus? Because how we're reaching others and how we're talking to others about Jesus is a pretty good measure of how much we truly hold Jesus as most valuable in our life. Whether we, if we talk about him or if we don't talk about him, helps us measure whether we really value him. Have you been telling people about Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for this, uh, this morning and this time together uh, where you've gathered your people together to proclaim the gospel to one another and to remember Jesus as our Lord and Savior together. Lord, I pray that in this time that your Holy Spirit would be at work uh, in us as a people, that you'd be drawn near to us in a special way here this morning where, where, we are, where our hearts are opened up to the, the truth and the reality that your love for us, for us is greater than anything we could ever imagine. Lord, help us uh, to open our ears to hear what each one of us would, uh, needs to hear from you, God. And, and may you say what you want to say to each one of us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you been telling people about Jesus? Do you value him enough to talk to others about him? I love Augusta. I love Augusta. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Maybe you knew that already. Uh, but, but I moved here when I was like 11 years old, so I've been here most of my life. And over the, when I first got here, I hated it because I moved from all my friends and whatever in Phoenix, but then I got here, and over the years, my love has grown. I've, just, I've had a love really grow for Augusta, and I love it here. And people know this about me because I talk about it. I tell people why Augusta is great, right? It's the second oldest city in Georgia. So right there, we have all the other cities except for one beat. Right? And that one is Savannah. Savannah's older. And I'd be jealous of Savannah, but I've been to Savannah. And it's nice. It's nice. But I wouldn't want to live there. Because it's, I know it's on the coast, right? I know it's on the coast. I like going to the coast in the summer. I don't know why you'd want to be there in the winter. What's the point? I've been to Savannah. It's nice. It's on the coast. They're living the dream for a few months a year. And then it's over. And then you've got hurricane season. Nobody wants to live there during hurricane season. 
We may think we want to live on the coast, but as soon as we live on the coast, the fall will come and you'll wish you were in the mountains. And the mountains are so far away from Savannah, right? Unlike Augusta. Augusta, we're two and a half hours to the coast. We're two and a half hours to the mountains. We're two hours to Ikea. We're an hour to, (laughs) right? We're an hour to UGA. We're an hour to uh, the Gamecocks, if you care about that. Um, I mean, who could ask for anything more in a city? I love it here. It's so great. It's a great location. And so I'm talking, real quick, I'm I'm talking to you medical student people who are going to leave, right? I know you have to leave to do your thing, but settle back down here. There's not a better place, right? Not only do I love Augusta, more specifically, I love downtown Augusta, where we are right now. Claire and I love it down here. We've loved it for years. We love it so much that we've pretty much built our entire life around it, right? We're if we leave the house, we, we're probably coming downtown. Um, we're downtown. Everything's built around this, and we talk about it all the time. Claire runs like a social media page about all the good things that are happening downtown. Uh, we just talk about it all the time. And so when we get together with friends and family, this is what they talk to me about now because that's what we talk about. At this point, they bring their little headline news of downtown, whether it's good or bad, and that's what we talk about because they know that I'm interested in downtown. And my point is what we talk about is a good measure of what we value. People know that I value downtown because I talk about it. People know that I love Augusta because I talk about it. And we talk about it because we want others to know how great downtown Augusta is. We want them to see how great it could be. And we want them, right or wrong, we want them to get in on this with us and be a part of downtown Augusta and at least be a part of our city, Augusta. So Colossians 1.17 says that he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then in 1.18 he says he's the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead. And Paul writes this poem in the first chapter of Colossians, it's 1.15 through 20, and, and some say it was an old Christian hymn, but he writes this poem and he writes these truths about Christ, that he's before all things in time and that he's before all things in preeminence by his death and resurrection. And then he reveals like this personal implication for each one of us. It's in one, chapter 1, 21 through 22. And it says this, chapter 1, 21 through 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the good news for us. This is the good news implication for us. We were aliens. We were hostile. We were evil. We were against him. But in his death, he brought us in, and he presented us as holy and blameless before God. That's the good news for us, right? We once were lost, but now we're found. That's the implication, but Paul shows us that it goes even further. Paul shows us that it also leads to a call. And that call is towards presenting others mature in Christ. As Christ has presented us holy and blameless, that causes us to go and tell people to present others mature in Christ, lead others to Jesus. It says this just a little further down in chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. Paul says, Him we proclaim, that's Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This was Paul's call, but it's also 
our call. When we find that Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to us, if we really find that Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to us, we will talk about him. I know I've said this before, but if he's really that great, we will talk about him and we will tell others about him and we'll try to tell others to get in on this great thing with us. We were made, we were made, created by him to glorify him. We were made to glorify God by making him known, by telling others about him. In making Christ known, we fulfill our purpose. That's what we were made for. And this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new concept. Like Isaiah's famous encounter in Isaiah 6. I've mentioned it over and over again. It's one of my favorite uh, passages, right? But Isaiah's famous encounter with God in Isaiah 6, it ended with him worshiping God by going out and making God known. And then later on in Isaiah, in chapter 26, verse 8, made famous by uh, Passion Conferences, if you know anything about that. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you. For your name and your renown is the desire of our soul, is the desire of my soul. Renown equals fame, making him known. See, a worshiping heart that has God before all things desires to make God known. And making Jesus known, disciple-making, leading people to Jesus, telling the lost the good news of Jesus Christ, inviting outsiders inside isn't something we do separate from our worship. I want us to see that first. It's not something we do separate from our worship. And it's not just for vocational pastors or missionaries in the field overseas or somewhere out there. It's for all of us. I would say it is perhaps the act in which our worship is most fully expressed. If we aren't reaching outsiders with the good news, we aren't fully worshiping him. We aren't really valuing Jesus before all things if we're not talking about him. It just can't be. We were built to talk about the things we value. Perhaps then if we aren't talking about him, we aren't getting the picture. Maybe we're not getting the picture that we were lost and we've been found. Maybe we're forgetting that Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to anybody, and he's happened to us. If we're not talking about him, it must be that we've forgotten or we don't know. And this call to go and to, to talk about Jesus and tell others about Jesus, it's everywhere in Scripture. You can start, we could start just about anywhere in Scripture today and, and, and make this message. Right, we can start in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know it as the Great Commission. Maybe you can start in 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. We can start in Acts 1, 8. We just spent almost the whole year talking about Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we could go on and on and on. You could start just about anywhere, but we're going to look specifically at Colossians 4, uh, verse 5 and 6. Colossians verse 4, and fi- 4, 5, and 6. And verse 5 says this. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. See, there's no question. We are called to go. We are called to walk toward outsiders. But the passage, it also says this 
this at the end. It says, making the best use of our time, right? To make the best use of our time by going. And it also says to do so with wisdom. And that's what I really kind of want us to talk about for a few minutes this morning, is what does it look like not only to go to outsiders, but to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I think that's important because Paul talks a lot about wisdom in this little letter of Colossians. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then in 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge or wisdom and understanding. And I, I read a good uh, example of it somewhere a long time ago. I don't know where it was. Uh, but but it stuck with me, right? What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, a swordsman may have the knowledge or the skill to use a sword, right? He may know different, like, swashbuckling maneuvers. That's my swashbuckling thing. Uh, he may have different swashbuckling moves and maneuvers, but knowing when to use the sword to take a life or to spare a life, that's wisdom. That's the wisdom of being the swordsman, right? Not just knowing the moves, that's the knowledge. But how we wield that sword is the wisdom. See, wisdom is how we wield our knowledge. And we must know how to wield the gospel. We must know how to wield the good news, how to talk to others about Jesus, how to walk wisely towards others and talk to them about Jesus. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 6? He said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's a call to walk wisely towards outsiders. So Paul continues this after, after verse 5. He continues in verse 6, and he tells us what it looks like to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. He says, Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders and wield the good news of Jesus with your speech in three ways. Be gracious, be salty, and be ready with an answer. Gracious, salty, and ready with an answer. So, we go wise as serpents, innocent as doves. We go with speech covered with grace that is filled with salt, and we go ready with an answer. So let's take a, I just want to take a look at these three things that Paul tells us to like lace our speech with. First, we're to let our speech be gracious. Uh, David Garland, he's a commentator, he writes this. He says that civility and graciousness can overcome the misgivings of neighbors and make them more receptive to the message. Gracious speech forms a stark contrast with the sins of speech listed in, ver- in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Maybe we see this after midterm elections week. Like, can't we see how grossly divided we are as a country and how, how we talk to each other and how we talk about one another? Now, there's no grace. I'm talking about in, in Christian world, okay? Now, there's no grace between Republican and Democrat from what I can see on Facebook or 
other social media platforms. Our mouths are filled with these things that are listed in Colossians 3, 8, and 9. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. I could... I can just pull up a Christian Facebook page and find all of those things. Not every Christian, but it's just pretty widespread at the moment. And it breaks my heart, honestly. I talk about it a lot with with folks. But it breaks my heart to see, like, the hate spewed from Christians who I love and who I've admired over the years, right? Those who taught me in Sunday school. Those who discipled me as I was growing in Christ. Those who I'm still friends with today. It seems like people can't stop. They can't help themselves. There's, there's no grace towards others. And we, like Christians, we insiders look just like the world. And oftentimes, because of our speech, we, work, we look worse. It's like we've taken off the new self that we're told to put on, and we've put back on the old self. We look and we talk like outsiders and maybe even worse. And then we expect outsiders and we expect the world around us to hear the good news of Jesus and rejoice with us and follow us. But what if our speech was filled with grace? As Paul exhorts us. What if our speech was filled with grace? What a welcomed fragrance that would be in our world, wouldn't it? Perhaps it would make more sense for the world to stop and like look at the Jesus we proclaim and Look at the the truth of our Lord and Savior if we reflected the grace and love that we say He's full of. So we're called to walk wisely towards outsiders. We're called to walk wisely towards outsiders with gracious speech. We're called to put off malice and anger and wrath and slander and obscene talk and put on the new self and lace our speech with wisdom with each other and as we walk towards outsiders. And then second, our speech should be salty, right? Now, that's not uh, like today's slang term where salty is negative, right? I don't know why you're being so salty. That's not, that's not what we mean here. <laughs> yeah. Paul means that we ought to be wise in making our speech flavorful, that it ought to be relevant, right? The word could even imply like being clever in how we present or how we speak. We need to speak to people with relevance, with relevance, because our irrelevance won't really have a chance of being heard. And I know that word relevance, I mean, it's just getting old, honestly. But we need to speak with people with relevance because irrelevance won't, won't get us the chance to really be heard. So what does it look like to speak with relevance, to speak with salt? I don't think it means, I don't think it means that you have to be hip to the pop culture. You don't have to be hip to the pop culture or something like that in order to sprinkle in that kind of stuff in all your your talk. That's not the deal. That's not what relevance is about. I think our ability to be relevant and to be salty in our speech has a lot to do with listening well. That's the best advice I have for us this morning on being filled with salt, is that if we're going to be relevant, if we're going to have salt in our speech, we have to do a lot of listening well. And I say this because when we listen well, we know how a person needs to hear the good news of Jesus, right? That's how we're going to be relevant is by knowing them and knowing who they are and knowing where they need to meet Jesus. We can listen for their idols, right? Listen for what holds their mind captive, what they have set before all things. Do they need to know how the cross proves that God is in control? 
Do they need to know how the cross proves that God is good? Do they need to know how the cross proves that God is loving? What idol do they, do they currently worship? And what idol do they need defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ? See, if we can listen to that, then when we finally speak, we can speak with relevance. We can tell them how Jesus is better than their idols, that Jesus is better than the things that hold them captive. We can expose how their idols are just keeping them prisoners and just leading them into death. Paul did this in Areopagus. We read it in Acts chapter 17 a few months ago. Like he walks, he goes in, he sees many like literal idols, like statues, right? And how their, he saw how their religion held these people captive and how these idols held them captive. They held them captive so much so that they had an idol that was inscripted to the unknown God. That, that way, they had all the gods covered in case they didn't know about one, right? So they wouldn't make him mad and not knowing about him. So they made him an idol just in case he or she existed, right? And so when Paul spoke, he noted their religion and he told them about the God they did not know, this unknown God, how he's above all others and how Jesus had been raised from the dead to make them righteous. That's how we go and be relevant. We listen for the idols that they're worshiping that would hold them captive, that Jesus needs to set them free from. And so we walk towards outsiders wisely with salt, with flavorful speech that will help them taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what it means to be salty. And then lastly, third, we walk towards outsiders wisely with gracious and salty speech so that we are ready for an answer, with an answer. I think this is often the thing that holds us back from talking to people. This is often the thing that holds us back as Christians from going and telling outsiders or those who do not know Jesus, unbelievers, the lost. This is what often holds us back. We think we aren't ready, so we don't go. But what holds us back really, I think, is fear. What really holds us back is fear. It's not really that we don't know. You feel not ready because of what they will think of you. Like it kind of scares you what they might think of you, right? There's one fear. You feel not ready because you think you don't have all the answers, right? And it's a fear I think that many people have. So we think it's better to like just stay quiet until we have all the answers worked out, until we've read enough books, actually done the flashcards that we never make time to do, so we have all the answers for all the criticisms and all the questions about our faith. But here's the truth. We're never going to know everything. We're never going to know everything. We don't know all the answers. And so this is like to stay quiet until we know all the answers, until we've got it all worked out. It's like a, it's a sentence to never speaking at all. We would never tell anybody about Jesus because we'll never know it all. We'll never get over that fear if that's the deal. And see, I think this fear that we have, it stems from a misunderstanding about what our job is, right? And even it's a misunderstanding of what Paul means by being ready with an answer. And I hope that this will free you at least somewhat uh, from this fear that we, we carry because our call and our job and our role is not, it's not to prove that we're right and somebody else is wrong. That's not what we're doing here. It's not about going out and, and debating to show that we're right and somebody else is wrong. We're, we're called to deliver news. We're called to be delivering good news and to do it wisely and to not be overtaken by the lies that other are be- others are believing. See, I don't believe that, the, that having all the answers is really what 
being ready looks like. Because what being ready really looks like is knowing the gospel. What we really need to know is the gospel. Because when we know the gospel and it has like an impact on our life when it's changing us, then we can talk about it. Then we can, when it's actually impacting us, we can, we can see that we're already equipped in and through Jesus Christ. Being ready is not about reading all the books and knowing all the arguments. It's about experiencing the good news of Jesus in our own lives so that we go out with confidence that it's what others need too. That's how we're ready. We experience Jesus. We experience the good news so that we can walk with confidence that, is what other, that he is what other people need too. It's about keeping Jesus before all things in our lives. If we're going to be ready with an answer, it's because we're keeping Jesus before all things in our lives, increasingly submitting every area of our life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ so that we continue to see Jesus at work in us and continue to see Jesus at work in each other. We continue to see him maturing us. We continue to see how he is presenting us holy and blameless before our Father. And we continue to experience the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who's making Jesus known every day and in all kinds of ways. Being ready, it just has far less to do about like knowing how old the earth is and, and having all the, the, the answers for that. It has far more to do with knowing how Jesus died and rose again to defeat our every idol and to set us free from our captivity to sin and to our worship of these other so would-be gods. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So how do we do this together? How do we walk wisely towards outsiders together as a body of Christ at Redemption Church? I believe that one of our greatest apologetics, one of our greatest evidences of Jesus is our unity in Christ. Our testimony that he's made us a family who were not a family, that he's made us a family out of people who, who wouldn't even know each other, or actually he's made us a family out of people who maybe would have had disdain for one another. That's one of our greatest evidences for Jesus. We demonstrate to the world in our unity that each and every person, each and every one of us is cherished and valuable and part of the mission. Like whether you're married or single, poor or rich, black, white, brown or other, old, young, everyone here is crucial to the mission of leading people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. Everyone here is crucial to the realized vision of Downtown Augusta saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ. As it's through everyone here that every man, woman, and child would actually hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen on its own. It happens through the mouths of his people. We all reach and we all connect with different people in different places. And we all gather here to worship, knowing God is near to us in a special way. And we must also go together with the gospel in order to most fully worship Jesus together. And so for Redemption Church as a body, I think that immediately means walking towards the people of downtown Augusta with the gospel together.
I mean, it also means globally. It also means reaching globally. That's why we emphasize global missions, missions a couple year, ah, global missions a couple times a year. That's why we're going on a trip uh, with Envision next summer. That's why we just hosted the Handmade Fair, and we continue to do that to help support missions. But the outsiders, like, aren't just overseas or far away from us. Like, they're not just out there somewhere. They're right here. They're where you work. They're where you live. They are where you play. And they're right outside the doors of this building. I've said it before. It's no accident that we're on Broad Street. It's no accident that we meet here to worship. We have a desire to reach this area, Broad Street, downtown Augusta, with the good news of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in downtown Augusta. We, I mean, I've been waiting to see a lot of this stuff for years, and it's pretty cool to watch. It's fun to watch, right? Developments are going up all over. There was a crane across the street, like yesterday or Friday. That was pretty cool. I was watching the crane. There's cranes all over the place. Things are happening. People are starting to pour into our area. And I think God has given us, like, such a gift to give us this place where we're sitting right in the middle of all that he's doing, and he's bringing all these people here right to us. And I'm convinced, I remain convinced, I've said it before, but I remain convinced that Redemption Church gets a say in what downtown looks like in the future. Like, I'm not just talking about, like, landscape and buildings and beautification and businesses and things like that. I'm talking about, like, we get to have a say in what downtown Augusta is known for in the future. Like, it ought not be just about James Brown and the cyber school, right? I love those things. That's great. But downtown Augusta should not just be known because of James Brown and the cyber school. It should be that downtown Augusta is known as a place where Jesus Christ saved, rescued, and unified people who should not have been unified to make him known in all things, in work, in play, in rest, in rest, in every way and in everything. The Christ before all things in our lives calls us, like Jesus called Paul, to work hard toward presenting them all mature in Christ. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But maybe it all seems a little too far-fetched. Maybe it seems too far-fetched. Maybe that's why we are lazy about the missions in the church. And it's not just here. It's elsewhere. Maybe it feels drummed up. Maybe it feels like a pipe dream. Maybe it feels like it's not really worth our time and energy because it's just too big. Maybe the idea of like these few blocks or this single street, seeing people saved, seeing salvation spring up all around us, like maybe that's a nice idea, but maybe it's just not actually realistic, and so it doesn't really call us to much. Maybe you can't imagine the street of people ever caring anything about Jesus, who would call them to give up everything and follow him. Why would they go for that? Maybe it is far-fetched, but if it's unbelievable that Christ can reign in downtown Augusta, and can unify and reconcile this place to himself, then I think it's ridiculous to believe that he'll rule the whole world in peace. 
If he can't do it on Broad Street, then why would he be able to do it everywhere? I'd say that heaven would be fictitious. We'd have to think that heaven is fictitious if he can't restore downtown Augusta, much less our country. So if it's far-fetched, why are you here? Why do we do this? What do we really believe about him? If it's far-fetched to believe that he could reach a street for himself and to make his name famous on one street. I think Paul would argue with us. If we're unsure if it's really worth our time and energy, sure, we don't say it. But if we're actually unsure and if we balk at giving our time and energy towards such a thing, Paul would argue us. He's, he does in Colossians 4 or 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. It's the best use of our time. Walking towards outsiders is the best use. That's making the best use of our time. Redemption Church, walking towards downtown Augusta with the gospel will require your time. It'll require your participation. It'll require your money, your giving, your serving. It'll require you to show up. But it's the best thing that we could do together with our time. Together, right? So I want to say, I just want to encourage us towards just a few practices this morning, something practical. Just practices, it's not everything, but who knows how God would use them and how, where it would lead us. Just number one is we at Redemption Church are walking towards downtown Augusta wisely with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. And so I'm asking you to make an effort to pay attention to what's happening in our neighborhood. It's a pretty cool space to be on mission with the love of Jesus because we don't really have to create opportunities to build relationships with people. Like people are just here participating in community already. All we have to do is just go. So we find ways to stay informed. Find ways to stay informed. There's stuff on social media, uh, whatever. Players got the support downtown Augusta thing. Get on the Augusta Lowdown on Facebook. I don't know. Find a way to stay informed about what's going on in downtown Augusta. And then make an effort to participate and go and get involved. Just be around here. Build some rhythms. Second, as a church, participate in our Love Downtown projects. Now, every month, we come up with a way to bless downtown. It's usually not some big thing. It's a practice, right? It's a practice. It's helping us practice this discipline of walking towards outsiders with wisdom. But once a month we do this, we find a way to bless downtown. It might require just a little bit of money or it might require, you know, an afternoon or or a few minutes of your time. But each month we do something to show kindness to our neighborhood together. And so I'm asking you, participate in our Love Downtown projects. This month we're going to go help next Saturday, the bridge ministry. We're going to go serve there, um, just down the street over by Enterprise Mill. And then next month we're going to make cookies and and give them out at the light-up spectacular parade and all that kind of stuff. And we do that every year. And then in January, I think we'll be helping serve at the master's table around the corner. Please sign up for those things. Participate. Make make it a practice. It's just little tangible ways that we can practice walking towards downtown with the good news of Jesus Christ, with the flavor of the gospel, right? And then third, I'm asking that you would work or that you would, with your MCs and with your DNAs, practice walking wisely towards downtown. I know that we meet all over the place and we have dinner all over different places and all that. With your MCs, with your DNAs, with the people that are in your 
little group. There's lots of ways you can walk towards downtown there. You can show up early on Sunday mornings and help pick up trash with Operation Clean City. Uh, you can just make a plan to eat together after, after service on Sunday somewhere downtown, maybe invite a guest to go with you. All I'm really asking is that you build some rhythms in downtown, right? Prayerfully find a place and a space to build a rhythm down here with individually, with your family, and with others. Integraciously and go with the gospel. And then lastly, I think we don't say it often, we probably should. But I'd like to encourage you, if you value Jesus, try talking to somebody about Jesus. Right? Like, but like, are we talking about Jesus with people? That's what he asked at the beginning. Are we talking about Jesus with people? I would encourage you to talk with Jesus about people. I mean, talk to people about Jesus. And then I'd encourage you also with that to invite somebody to come with you to church. We never ask you to do that. I don't know why we never ask you to do that. We should be asking you to do that. Invite somebody to come with you to church. It's an excellent opportunity. We're going to talk about the gospel, and the great apologetic of our unity in Christ is on full display here. And then you can take them to lunch, and you can listen well so that you know how to relevantly talk to them about Jesus. Invite somebody to come with you to church. I really do believe that our unity in Christ is one of the best apologies, apologetics or evidences that we have of who Jesus is and what he does and what he's like. So invite somebody and talk to people about Jesus. And then as we go today, I just really want us to hear this. As we go, it's not about any of those particular things, right? None of those are going to work. Like it's all relying on Christ. It's all relying on the work of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known. So as we go, may we all rest in the work of the Holy Spirit to ultimately make Jesus known and ultimately glorify Christ in our city. May we walk towards outsiders with wisdom, confident that he will saturate the earth with his glory, confident in Christ who was raised from the dead. That's what we're saying, right? Confident in Christ who was raised from the dead to do impossible things through us. Right? May we walk towards outsider confident that he could do impossible things through us. And that he'll use our lives and that he'll use our words to reach others and to make Christ known. And may we worship him fully, saying like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. And we'll do a few things. The band will come and they'll lead us in a time of worship and they'll have a chance for you to reflect and pray and to sing praises to our King. In the back, there's an offering basket where you can give your tithes and your offerings. We know that not everybody carries a checkbook or cash. You can do that on, on the phone also at our website. Um, but this is where we give and, and worship God in obedience to, to giving of our time and our, our, our money. And then uh, lastly, each week, we take communion together. So we'll come down each one of these aisles We'll take the bread and we'll dip it in. I believe we just have juice today. Um, we'll di dip it in the juice. And this represents the body and the blood of Christ that was given and shed for us. And so when we do this, we are remembering Christ. We're remembering that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do, that he died, that he rose again, that he is first, that he is before all things in time and preeminence. We are forgetful people, 
And so we remember this together and we proclaim that truth to one another. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and to take with us and to do this thing. And if you're not a Christian, we ask that you not do it, not because we want you to be left out, but because we want you to hear what we're saying in our actions. Jesus Christ is Lord, and while you were against him, he came and he died for you to save you and to bring you life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ that has brought us together, that makes us a family, that makes us one. Lord, I pray that this morning, as we kind of walk through this service and as we, we do all these things really just to worship you and to, and to glorify you, that's to make you known and make the gospel known and praise you, God, that we would be reminded of just who you are, that we would be reminded of what a gift we've been given, that we would be reminded that this, you are the best thing that has ever, ever, ever happened to us, that we were dead in our trespasses. You've made us alive in Christ. Make it, remind us, Lord, of what good news that is for us. So that we go out, like with it on our lips, that we go out from this place with it in all our deeds and in all our words, that we would go out with, like, knowing your grace for us and dealing graciously with others, knowing how good you are and showing others how good you are. Lord, just being willing to enter into to other people's lives, like being willing to talk because we love you, because we value you above all things. Lord, help us be that people. Lord, give us confidence. Give us confidence to speak the good news. It's not dependent on our words for people's lives to change. It's not dependent on our our words for people's hearts to change. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit to make Christ known, but you'll do it through our words. Give us confidence that you, who we say was dead and rose again, can do impossible things through us and through our words. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.